Okay, we are still looking at trusting God. <clears throat> Last week we looked at God ordains rulers, and we, 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 we talked about that some as far as our own situation is concerned. But, but here's the thing that we need to understand. God is actually in charge of everything that goes on everywhere. It's not my mom today, and she has a bird feeder. And her bird feeder, I'm telling you, she had six or eight sparrows uh, on her bird feeder uh, when I was down there. <clears throat> she puts food in, food in it for them every day. And I was explaining to her that not one of those birds, not one of those little sparrows, uh, can fall from the heaven except God says, now's your time. That's how involved he is uh, in our world and in our lives. And when it comes to the rulers that uh, get set up over us, God is in charge, even in that. Nothing happens uh, that he's not in charge of. Sometimes God gives us rulers in judgment. That's what happens. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes we don't get what's best for us personally, uh, but God is always at work. And remember that God knows the beginning and the end, and he's working it towards his end, and he's very good at doing it. I <clears throat> okay. Uh, tonight we're going to look at an interesting deal. God, lo- God controls decisions, right? Now you think when you make decisions, you get to make your own decision and nobody else is in charge of it except you. But God actually controls decisions. He's in charge of decisions. Now we're going to look at it and we're going to draw one application from it that I, I want us to really <clears throat> take on board. God controls decisions. Now what decisions does God control over in your life? All of them. There's none that he's not in charge of. Look at Proverbs 16, verse 33. Proverbs 16 and verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Now, through the centuries, through the, through the ages... One of the ways of deciding tough decisions that really couldn't be, <clears throat> that where you couldn't, on the basis of the information you had, m- make a sound decision, was to cast lots. So, I mean, you, you've seen it done, but it was done when choosing leaders at times. And what happened was, whoever drew the short lot, or the long lot, depending on what you said, they were the one that, that won in it. What our verse is saying to us, though, is that... <clears throat> When you're casting lots, when you're drawing on the lot, the, God's in charge of who gets what in it. Anybody think of a biblical example where they used a lot in New Testament times? Jonah, okay. <laughs> well, in Jonah they drew lots to find out who it was. Now, did they find out who it was? They did. It showed Jonah, didn't it? Okay, New Testament. Make <clears throat> Yeah. Yes, when they when they were I think when they were choosing I think it's Acts chapter two, isn't it? When they were choosing a replacement for Judas, they used a lot, right? But what and what they were depending upon? See, it, it, it sounds to us like a crazy way of doing it, but what they were depending upon was the truth of Scripture that God's in charge of even the lot. Now that's a level of understanding and control that we're really not familiar with, isn't it? We tend to think that a lot, of hap- a lot of things happen in our world just random. That's just what happens. But you know what? God's much more involved than we'd like to think that he is, right? Now, look with me at Second Samuel chapter 16. We'll read some of this story because it'll actually impress it upon you more uh, if we read some of it. Second Samuel uh, chapter 16. 
I wonder if I can find the verse. I'm in First Samuel. <clears throat> Now, what we're seeing here is we're seeing David is on the run from Absalom, right? Now, uh, you know the story that David sinned with Bathsheba, and God told him that there would be trouble in his house uh, from then on, and trouble there was in his house, right? Um, so if we look at verse... Let me read some of the story, and then we'll, then we'll, we'll come back, right? Uh, and when David was a little past the top of the hill, verse 1, Zilba the servant of Mephibosheth met him uh, with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred bunches of raisins, and a hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. And the king said unto Zeba, What meanest thou by these? And Zeba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and the summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine, and such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. Right? So uh, David's on the run from his son. He's out in the wilderness, and Zeba comes, one of the wealthy men from, from that area, and he takes care of him, right? Now, <clears throat> David. David is in a, is in a very um, <clears throat> tough spot. Um, <clears throat> and skip on down now to verse... Sorry, I've got that. Verse 23. I have it wrong there on the slide, right? <clears throat> and the council of Ahithophel which he counseled in those days was if a man had acquired at the oracle of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Now, I think we'd find it hard to find somebody that was regarded as highly as this man Ahithophel as a counselor. If you went and spoke to him, his wisdom was such that nobody questioned him. Right? Uh, we can think of in the, in, in the business world, somebody like Warren Buffett, uh, his ability to choose stocks and so on. People look at him and they think, you know, if he's choosing it, I'm choosing it too, because he never gets it wrong. He always seems to get it right. Well, Ahithophel was a character like that. He was just, whenever, whenever he gave counsel, gave advice in the situation, uh, he always got it right, and everybody knew that. Right? Now, what's going to happen in this story, though, is that Ahithophel and Hushai are both counselors. Hushai was David's friend. He was his companion, his friend. Uh, he was his counselor. But he wasn't as highly regarded, uh, apart from by David, as uh, Ahithophel was. Right? <clears throat> so uh, Hushai goes to be with David, and David says, no, don't, don't come with me. You need to stay. You need to go back and... Uh, you might be able to overturn the counsel of Ahithophel, because Ahithophel is going to give good counsel about how to sort out the situation, and you might be able to just overturn it. So Hushai, uh, being uh, a good, loyal servant as he is, he goes back, right? But really, Ahithophel's counsel is going to nail it, right? And <clears throat> Hushai's not going to be able to uh, overturn that, right? <clears throat> and um, he's already told Absalom to go into David's concubines, which was wicked beyond measure. Uh, but he went into David's concubines, which proved to all of Israel that he was no longer uh, turning back to his father, that you could actually follow him now. So Ahithophel's counsel has been good as far as what he's saying, right? Uh, <clears throat> so chapter 17, verse 1, Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, 
Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king only. And I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest is of all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well, and all the elders of Israel. They said, that's good counsel. Coming from Ahithophel, the oracle of God, that's good counsel. Um, then said Absalom, Call now Hushai the archite, uh, and let us hear likewise what he saith. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel hath spoken after this manner. Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak thou. And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For said Hushai, Thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and that they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. And thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit or in some other place, and it will come to pass, when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever heareth it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. And he also that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of a lion, shall utterly melt. For all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man, and they which be with him are valiant men. Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered together unto thee, from Dan even to Beersheba, as the sand that is by the sea for multitude, and that thou go to battle in thine own person. So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And of him and of all the men that are with him, there shall not be left so much as one." Moreover, if he be gotten into a city, then shall all Israel bring ropes to that city, and we will draw to the river um, <clears throat> until there be not one small stone found there. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. Right? Now, <clears throat> think about this. Ahithophel's counsel was actually the right counsel. If Ahithophel had, had take, taken an army right then and gone after David and caught David and killed David battle over, the nation were already turning to Absalom, it would have worked. It was good counsel. It was solid. It was the best counsel that there could have been. Hushai, who's David's friend, right? And at best, he's subject, suspect because uh, <clears throat> he's a turncoat, comes along and gives this advice, and everybody says, you know what? That's the way we need to go. That's what we need to do. Now look at why. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord, the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Why did they take Hushai's counsel instead of uh, <clears throat> Ahithophel's counsel? Because the Lord had appointed it. He was actually in charge. Now, you, you, you look at that situation and you see men listening to counselors, and you're looking at the, the advice that's going to be given, and you imagine the best advice is going to be taken. Don't you? I mean, these are not fools. These men are risking their lives to follow Absalom. Uh, you, you look at this situation, and you expect that they're going to actually uh, take the best counsel, but they don't, because God steps in. Now, how does that apply in your life? Do you ever have somebody making decisions about you? It's kind of a scary feeling, isn't it? But they're actually making decisions about you. They're actually uh, talking about you. Maybe it's to give you uh, a promotion. Maybe it's to fire you. Maybe it's for whatever reason. But they're talking about you. Which counsel is going to be taken? 
the Lord's. Whatever the Lord wants to do is going to be done. Now you say, well, hang on a minute, Pastor. That doesn't fit for me because I've had people do the wrong thing by me. Well, hang on a minute. I, I, I understand it may not have been what you wanted at the time. But I wonder, was it the wrong thing by you? Maybe the wrong thing in the short term. But maybe the best thing in the long term. See, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God is working everything out for your good. God is working uh, in situations in ways that you can't even see. So when decisions are made regarding you, God's involved. Now, what does that do in your life? How, how does that affect you? If it's good, you're happy, and if it's not, you're, <laughs> uh, you're sad. Well, that's kind of the, the surface of it. But what would that do for you? How many of you, can, how many of you can recognize a situation in your life where somebody was making a decision about you that really made you feel uncomfortable and you wanted it to go one way? Okay, the judge. That's, that, that's a good example. Yeah, where the judge is making a decision and he's sitting there and maybe he's taking counsel. Maybe it's a jury. You know, maybe it's a boss. You know, maybe it's a doctor in a hospital. And, and he got it wrong. Now, is that beyond the control of God? Is it? No. God's there. Listen, if he knows every sparrow by name and none of them die, apart from him, and if he knows every hair on your head, he also knows exactly what's going on, and he's able to influence any decision he wants in your favor. And he does. We just don't always recognize it as being in their favor. But God's able to take an influence. There's, there's no situation that's beyond him. By the way, interesting thing that oh, when Ahithophel heard what they'd done, he knew it was a disaster. He knew that they were <clears throat> going to lose, and so he went out and hanged himself. He set his affairs in order and he hanged himself because he thought, you know what, this is over. These people have just gone the wrong way. He actually, he was that sure that his counsel was right. And it turns out to be the truth. Because um, <clears throat> when they go after them, um, <clears throat> they don't win. Uh, David and his men win. But God's in charge. God's working these things out. Now, dig into this. Because this means that I'm never, ever the victim of circumstances. But let me give you another one. There's, there's um, uh, Mustafa uh, in, uh, in Iran. Good man, a, a godly man, leading house churches, and all of a sudden he gets caught, and <clears throat> he gets tried, and he gets sentenced to a year in prison, uh, which could mean death in that country. And he's at the mercy of these persecutors that hate him. Or is he? Is God involved in that? Could God change that if he wanted to? Of course he could. Mustafa's not a victim of anything or anybody. Mustafa's in the place where he's actually serving God. And you know, God can choose to let him off that or God can choose to have him go through that. Whatever he does, God will be with him in it. He's not a victim. And you're not a victim either. 
Don't we sometimes think, you know, <clears throat> a judge that's got a uh, <clears throat> that's got an axe to grind, you know, <clears throat> you know, he wants to make it make it hard. Yeah, but you're not at the mercy of a judge. God's involved, always. You're not at the mercy of the boss. You're not at the mercy of the policeman that stops you. You're not at the mercy of any of it. God's involved in all of it. Now, that should do two things for you, right? First of all, that should give you comfort in your heart. God's in charge here. I'm going to be okay. And the second thing it would do for you is it would, should help you pray. Because if God's in charge, you, you, you may not be able to influence the judge or the doctor or whoever, but you can influence God because he, he gives you permission to. Bring your request before and bring, bring your need before. When it comes to Mustafa, I mean, <clears throat> what do we pray for Mustafa? Well, we pray for whoever's got their finger uh, on the button as far as his sentencing is concerned to have a change of heart. We pray for the government of Iran. Lord, draw these people out of their darkness and into light. Because God can do that. You see, David's going back on the throne, and it's really interesting if you look at the two characters, David and Absalom. Absalom's a man of the flesh. He's, he's all flesh. He's, he's bent out of shape. He's bitter uh, about stuff his dad has done on him. And he is total flesh. Now, David's done wrong and recognizes that what's happening in his life uh, is the, the Lord dealing with him. The Lord's chastening in his life. But if we, if, if we were to read through the whole story, we'd find David depending upon God for all of it. David says this. He says, if the Lord chooses to bring me back, then he can. And if he's finished with me, then he's finished with me. David knows Absalom's not in charge. Ahithophel's not in charge. God's in charge. I think if we knew that in our lives, it would help us to have comfort and it would draw us into deeper prayer. If we let that reality sink in. It's not random. Nothing random's happening to you. God's involved. God's involved in every part of it, right? Now, look at Rehoboam. Look at 1 Kings 12, verse 15. Now, you know this story, right? <clears throat> Rehoboam is the Husson. Husson is Rehoboam. Pardon? No. Rehoboam is actually Solomon's son. Right? Um, <clears throat> some of the names get mixed up. They'll they 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 start sounding sound alike, right? But Rehoboam is Solomon's son. Now remember, what did Solomon do that God told him, <clears throat> you're off the throne. I'm going to take it away from you. Well, not in your lifetime for, your, for David's sake, but I'm telling you, it's gone. What do you do? Pardon? He worshipped idols. Yeah, with his wives, he worshipped idols, right? <clears throat> so God told him he was going, uh, that he was going to take the throne away from him. And um, so his son Rehoboam comes to the throne. Now remember, Solomon was a very wealthy and a very wise man, but he was a hard king too. He exacted great burdens on the people. Um, by the way, God warned them when they chose a king um, <clears throat> that... Um, that they, 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 would, they would have trouble. The king would exact, exact burdens. He would take their money. He would take their uh, children. He would take their men to be soldiers. They, God had warned them, but they, they insisted they were going to have it. And by the time we get to Solomon, that's in full flight. And Solomon is doing amazing things uh, financially, but you know what? He's bleeding the people dry to do it. So 
When it comes uh, to Rehoboam taking over, uh, the people come to Rehoboam and they say to him, <clears throat> you know, listen, if, if you will lighten our burden, then we'll all follow you to a man. Right? And so Rehoboam says, go away and come back to me in three days. I'll make a decision. So Rehoboam goes and he talks to the old man, his father's counselors, the, the, the men that had, been, that had been around for a long time, and they say, your dad was a tough man. He exacted a lot of these people. You need to cut them some slack. You need to make it better for them. You make it better for them and they'll serve you. And then he goes to the young people. And he says, what do you think? And the young people said, don't show any weakness. You need to go after them. You need to, you need to tell them there's no way you're going to make it harder than your father ever did. You need to be the boss from the beginning. Right? So that's exactly what he does. Uh, <clears throat> so he, verse 14 there of First Kings chapter 12 uh, and he spake to them after the counsel of the young man, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father also chased, chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Wherefore the king hearkened not unto the people, for the cause was from the Lord, that he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah uh, the Shilonite unto Jeroboam the son of Nebat. Right? Well, you know, you know why he took the wrong counsel? And he took the wrong counsel because the nation is split at this point. Right? Ten tribes walk away. Two tribes stay with them. He took the wrong counsel because it was appointed of God. So understand that. That God is in the council room. That God is in the boardroom. That God is in the jewelry. That God is in, God is in all those places. And he is working. You don't have any control on those situations, but he does. And you can ask him. Now, he's going to do what's best. He's not always going to do what you want him to do. When God decides to do something in your life, he's going to do it, even though it may not be what you want him to do. But you can certainly pray and ask him and know he's in charge of the situation. So that when it goes against you, when, when the decision is not what you wanted it to be, you can have comfort and know, no, God's in this. I'm Okay. This is going to be okay. God's in this. God's in this situation. Because he always uh, is in the situation. There's never a time uh, when God's not in it. So if we remember that, it's a tremendous help to us. As we look at our lives and look at our situations and realize, oh, God's involved in my situation. God's in charge of my situation, right? Okay. Um, God determines military victories. Now, what do we think about military victories? Oh, we've got, we got some flashpoints in the world right now, don't we? We've got ISIS. Um, <clears throat> that's a pretty scary uh, situation. We've got Russia muscling up like it hasn't done in a long, long time. They kind of let it go uh, for a while, but they are muscling up now. And you watch their parades, and you listen to the talk, and they are muscling up today. Right? <clears throat> they, they have just threatened that uh, anything that flies over Syria that they haven't agreed with, they will shoot it out of the air. Now, you know what that means? That if Russia starts shooting American planes, that's an act of war. And that's not even the Cold War anymore. That's going to be a hot war. <clears throat> right? Um, so you got that situation. you got um, <clears throat> North Korea, where he's planning on, uh, on firing a nuke uh, as soon as he can get one to go far enough and just crazy enough to do it. You know, just create, you know, volatile situation. You've got China muscling up as well. Uh, you've got 
Israel and all the, na- all, all the neighbors around it that would gladly extinguish it in a heartbeat. So you, you've got a powder keg uh, in our world at the moment, right? Now, who's going to win if there's a war? Let's, let's say we go and we, we, we talk to Putin and we say, well, who do you think is going to win the war? Well, he's going to beat his chest and say he's going to win the war. And if we press him and ask him why he's going to win the war, he's going to because I'm right. We go to America, we're going to get the same answer. We're going to get the same answer all around. Everybody's going to think they're right. If it comes to a war, um, we're right, and, and we're going to fight, and we're going to win. Now, who's going to win if there's a war? Well, God determines military victories. God's in charge. You know, it's, it's, it's not to the strong. It's not to the one who has the most. I mean, if you look at the battles in the history of Israel over the years, they shouldn't have won. On paper, they couldn't win. But they won some amazing victories. And they lost some amazing battles, too. And we see in Israel, though, we see God showing himself as being the victor in those situations, right? Okay, Judges chapter 7, verse 2 and 3. Now, this is absolutely an amazing situation, right? <clears throat> verse 1, Judges chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Amora in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee be too many for me uh, <clears throat> to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. Now therefore go to the people, uh, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And they returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. Right now they are going against an army that... The 32,000 people hadn't got a hope of winning anyway. Right? And God comes to Gideon and he says, Gideon, listen, there's too many. Thin out the crowd. And so he thins out the crowd. Now, they definitely haven't got a hope. It's only 10,000. He thins them out eventually to 300. Against an army that the 30,000 couldn't have won against, they ends up with 300. Why? First reason is because God doesn't want Israel taking the credit for this thing. Second reason is this, because <clears throat> he wants them to, he wants to give them the victory because he's in charge of who wins the battles. So, <clears throat> listen, you may well wake up some morning in your lifetime to um, <clears throat> a war that's broken out that uh, is definitely going to be terrifying. But you don't need to be terrified. Because God is in total control of it all. I mean, Kim Jong-un, the um, uh, Korean leader, I mean, every time I see him, it makes me, <clears throat> makes me shudder because he's, he just looks totally crazy, you know? And he, and he spouts crazy stuff. And, you know, it would be very easy for us to get to the place where we're kind of thinking, okay, there's all those ships out there uh, looking in on him. You know what? Uh, <clears throat> if it goes wrong, it's going to go terribly wrong. Well, but nothing's going to happen apart from God. 
Now, that doesn't mean a war can't break out because we don't know the mind of the Lord. That doesn't mean that we're not saying God's going to keep it and make it work. That doesn't mean that we, the West, would win because God doesn't tell us that. What that means is that God is in charge of all of it and nothing is happening apart from him. That ought to give us comfort, right? Uh, Jonathan, in 1 Samuel 14, 6 and 15, uh, <clears throat> Jonathan uh, makes this great... we look at his statement, because I'll get it wrong if I quote it here. Right? <clears throat> 1 Samuel 14, verse 6. Okay, so Jonathan and his armor bearer are together. Saul... Uh, is in his first great battle, right? <clears throat> Verse 6, And Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, and let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. Now, here's a man of faith. Two of them are going into battle against a garrison. I'm not sure how many is in a garrison, but it was a, uh, <clears throat> it was a troop. Two of them are going to battle, and he's saying, listen, let's go over, because you know what? The Lord does, it doesn't, who wins the battle doesn't depend on how many soldiers there are. The Lord can give it to us if he wants to. And he's willing to go in on that understanding. Now, what he does is, he goes in, and they win a great victory that day. They win a great victory, because he goes in knowing who gives the battles. First right? Kings 20, verse 28 and 29. Now, this is interesting. Ahab is fighting here, right? <clears throat> now, if you were God, would you give Ahab any victories? I wouldn't. Right? <clears throat> I, would, I would sit on Ahab and make sure everything he tried to do failed. Right? But watch what happens here. Uh, and there came a man of God and spake unto the king of Israel and said, Thus said the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore will I deliver all this great multitude into thine hand, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And they pitched uh, one over against the other seven days. And so it was that the seventh day the battle was joined and the children of Israel slew of the Syrians and 100,000 footmen in one day. Now here's what happened. Uh, Ahab, because God led him, had actually won a battle against the Syrians. And they decided, well, you know what, it's just because we were fighting on the wrong ground and, and their God uh, <clears throat> works well on that kind of ground. And God took offense. Do you know that God takes offense sometimes? God took offense and said, okay, I'll tell you what I am going to have. You really routed now. And they were routed because it's not about the army, and it's not about the strength, and it's not about the number. God's in charge. God's in charge of all those victories. Uh, Naaman, 2 Kings 5.1. <clears throat> now, Naaman <clears throat> is not a believer, not at this point anyway. Right? <clears throat> He's going to become a believer because of the little maid uh, from Israel uh, that speaks to him. But he's not a believer at this point. Now, look what it says about him. Now, Naaman, captain of the host 
of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria, and he was also a mighty man in valor, and he was a leper. How did Naaman win the name he had? Because the Lord was with him. The Lord had given him those victories. Now, he's not even saved. This is not, we're not talking about Israel here. Because here's what we do sometimes. We have a spiritual and a secular in our minds, don't we? And because we're spiritual, we're going to win battles because God's going to be on our side. That's not the way it works. God can work in anyone. And he took this man and he used this man and gave deliverance to Syria through him. Second right. <clears throat> Chronicles 13, verse 14 through 16. And when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind, and they cried unto the Lord, and the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah, and the children of Israel fled before Judah, and God delivered them into their hand. Now this is an even more interesting one. This is uh, Israel, north and south, uh, at battle now. Right? And uh, they realize, Judah realizes that they are in trouble. And so they cry out to the Lord, and they give a shout, and God gives them the victory. Now, here's a question for you. If they hadn't cried out to the Lord, would they have had the victory? According to the context what we're reading there, would they, would they have won the battle if they hadn't cried out to the Lord? No. This wasn't a foregone conclusion. The battle is the Lord's, but you have influence with the Lord. And you need to remember that, that there are times when you can cry out to him and he can turn the victory to you. In fact, whenever you've got a situation you're facing, you ought to be looking to him. Because you're not able, you don't have influence in these situations, but he does. And sometimes... We think, well, I'm small. I mean nothing in this situation. I have no power. What can I do? And that may be true, but it's not true of God. He has power, and he has the king's ear, and he has the boss's ear, and he has the judge's ear. He has power to move. The king's heart is in the hands of the Lord, and as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. God can turn any heart in any direction that he chooses to. So I I need to be talking to him. I need to be walking with him. I need to be depending upon him. It's it's not what I can do in my ability and my power. It's him. It's him that can do it. And by the way, when the battle is won, there's no credit. Because the battle is the Lord's. It's always his. You see, you and I, the best we ever do is get obedient to him. That's the best we ever do as far as life is concerned. Right? <clears throat> see, God determines military victories. God uses nations then to chasten each other, right? <clears throat> um, one nation does wrong, 
uh, and uh, Israel typically would do wrong. God will bring Syria in uh, <clears throat> to, to, to chasten Israel. And then you know what God will do? Then God will chasten Syria for the way they dealt with them. And you say, figure that out. I can't figure that out. He's just in charge. Right? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> you see, there's no such thing as a sovereign nation. Just a sovereign God. There's a sovereign God who's in charge of all of it. He's in charge of the nations. He's in charge of what's going on. Now, so, so what does that mean to you? How does that affect you? What are you going to do with that truth? Do you know they say this, that either you use it or you lose it? You ever heard that said about language? As a kid, I was a fluent Irish speaker. Didn't use it. And you know what? Now my grandchildren are teaching me Irish again. <clears throat> um, if you don't use it, you do you know that if you don't use truth like this, it ends up meaning nothing to you? But if you actually start using it, if the next time you're facing a situation where somebody's making a decision that affects you, and you pray about it, and you bring it before the Lord, you can see God work in that decision. You can see God work in people's hearts. Next time you look at the news and you get uh, <clears throat> scared because you think of what might happen if this happens and that happens and the other happens, just remember, no, God's in charge. God's in charge. I remember reading a story in the Second World War of, um, <clears throat> and I forget the man's name now, but what they used to do was they used to spread out a map of the war, right? And they would then pray over every engagement, now, they were English, so they're obviously praying for the Allies, but they would pray over every engagement in the, in, in the war. And the story was that when they were praying, they were seeing amazing things happen. Now, we don't think of that when we think of wars, do we? We just think wars are wars, and they run. But, you know, they prayed over it, and they saw great things happen. Do you know that you can pray over your situation? You know... <clears throat> We have a Muslim world out there. We have <clears throat> just a people that are just so angry and so hateful for, uh, <clears throat> for a large amount of them. Iran is just hateful towards the West. Right? Um, <clears throat> we don't have much power to change them. But God does. You know, you could have America go in and do regime change. But that's not very successful. But you know, when God does regime change, that's successful. When God takes one power and takes it down and replaces it with another, that's successful. Do you know that we could pray for God to change those nations? We could pray for North Korea that God would actually change. You say, me pray for, what have I got to do with that? Listen, you're a child of the king. You could pray for those situations. You could pray for God to work in those situations. And honestly... I think we value our, we think way too little of our power. We have power with the one who rules in the boardroom of Kim Jong-un. He rules in that room. We have power with the, uh, with the one who rules in the parliament in Iran. We have power with God in all these situations. You know what? There's a lot more to this prayer thing than just praying um, that you have a happy life for the next few days. You've got power to touch the throne of God 
to change the world. And I think one of the things we're going to realize when we get to heaven is there was so much more available that we could have done that our picture was just way too small of what we had in him. All right, any questions? I'm going to go to prayer and get you out of here tonight because you're, <clears throat> you're flagging in the heat, okay? By the way, this is one of the very few occasions in Ireland when it didn't help to open the windows because the air out there was warmer than the air in here. <laughs> I tried it earlier and I could feel it. It was warmer out there, so I left it closed, right? Um, <clears throat> any questions? All right, listen. What we're seeing as we go through this is our God is in charge of everything. Nothing is happening in your life apart from him. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for this people. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work in our hearts? Would you help us not just to learn truth, but to take truth on board, Lord, that we would live it and know it as a reality in Jesus' precious name. Amen.